You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I'm joined, as always, by Sean and not Rick. On this episode, we really wanted to talk about, I guess, more, more conceptually about mentorship and things like that. And I have a very special guest who is actually my greatest mentor, person who taught me at least a third of everything I know, my mother. Uh, welcome to the show, mom. Hi, Andrew. And so let's start out the end from the beginning. So you normally we ask our listeners to introduce themselves, how, why they have expertise, why should, people should listen to them. But uh, you recently won an award for the CEO of the year in San Diego County, and I want to say you, you won that just a few days before this recording. And so first of all, congratulations on, on air. I'm really proud of you. And second of all, how did you get into a position to win this award? Tell us what type of business you run and then what, like how you got started. I run an early care and education company. Our job is to provide family care. And what we basically do is we desegregate our community by allowing rich kids and poor kids to go to school together because shocking there are no such things as rich kids and poor kids we just have kids in our community and society segregates them based upon the incomes of their families and i was a poor kid and that was really offensive to me because i'm smarter faster more adept and capable and yet i am being pigeonholed into this poor kid role as i was growing up and it was really offensive to me and so you know, I've just kind of carried that lesson with me my whole life. And uh, so just determined as I've, I've gone through life to change that. And I do so for thousands of kids every single day. This year, I've been nominated. Now this is my third nomination. And the third time I was a finalist. And uh, this year I won it. And I was really excited about that because our team just really laid it on the floor for families. Throughout COVID, we stayed open. We cared for the children of essential workers, putting ourselves at risk and just, you know, honestly spitting in the wind and saying, wait, if we don't do this, who's going to deliver packages? Who's going to work at grocery stores? How is our community going to have doctors and nurses if somebody doesn't care for the children and if somebody doesn't look to the needs and services that these families have because they're working now 12, 16, 20 hour days? You know, who's going to hook them up with that bag of groceries that they didn't have time to go get? So we just kind of above and beyond cared for the families in our community, whether they were enrolled or not. And so this award was recognition of our team and, you know, of me as a leader. Eh, but it was really a recognition of our team because really a leader is only as strong as their team. How many locations do you have? What is the size of your team? So we have 270 staff members. We should be up to about 440 staff members next year. We have got 16 sites under development. Uh, right now we're serving about 1,600 families. We will be up to, I think with the 16 sites, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, we'll be up to about 4,000 families. So, you know, we're just working a, a thing at a time. I'm a combination of developer Dad's a civil engineer, so we buy commercial property and then we completely redevelop the entire piece of property. I can't go out and just buy a facility like I have. I have to make them. So that's what takes me 
the most time is creating the facilities because that really is the thing that is so needed in this country. If you have the time, if any of these listeners have time, call your legislature and tell them to invest in early care and education centers that are worthy of children and families. Because I'm telling you, I would say 80% of the centers out there are roach infested, disgusting. Kids shouldn't be spending time. And I'm being generous by saying 80% because from my standards, it's more like 98%. You know, I haven't seen another center like mine ever. When you say that you, you know, the, the rich kids and the poor kids, that, you know, they're just kids who a society has separated. My first job, well, my, I guess my job growing up through late high school, college, summer job was always working with preschools. And I got to see this firsthand and it was really fun getting to play with all the kids. And I never looked at, you know, this kid is the wealthy kid, that kid is the poor kid or whatever. It was just usually the way that I separated kids was which ones freaked out when they lost playing a video game and which ones were mentally capable of taking a loss and still being happy. That's how I segregated children. Uh, I was like, all right, you, you're cool. You need to be the singer in rock band because if you play the guitar and lose it for us, you're going to flip out. That's how I segregated the children. It was really cool to see that there were, you know, doctors and lawyers, kids that could afford to uh, be anywhere they wanted. They wanted to be at Children's Paradise, which is the the business that you run, and they could pay, afford to pay the the cash. Then there were other families that were homeless in in a homeless shelter that would be right, their children would be right alongside the doctor and lawyer's kid receiving the same quality care. And that is fascinating to me. And nobody can tell the difference between the kids. No way. I couldn't. The child from the homeless shelter got less or somebody went, oh, well, he's homeless or she's homeless. They were not stigmatized. They were allowed to come to Children's Paradise. Allowed. They were welcomed at Children's Paradise as as heroes like they all are. And I think it was life-changing for so many of those kids from all walks of life because ultimately they played together and they saw each other as human beings and they saw each other as friends and they helped each other, you know, and it, it just, it's such a special place. I can't even put into words how much I love what I do because of that, because it gives kids that are are marginalized, you know, by society, such access. And I love that. So, and you know, the, one of the things that I find, you know, we're talking about mentorship, the, one of the, probably the primary lesson, at least one of them that I, that I've taken away from just watching you instead of what you've told me, but watching how you've behaved in the development of your business, you know, it it started out as daycare at my house. I say my house, but at, at your house in my room, your room if you invited them seriously i was a pretty mom about that i mean it started out as our home at our home because i just lost timothy i couldn't work at the engineering office i was managing that for dad and i i couldn't be around the clients they were all asking me how i was doing and i was just i was dying i was yeah. so hurt you know when, having- when you say timothy um timothy is my my brother who passed away in in the womb. And that was, that was a real traumatic thing that happened. Uh, what, what's it been? Uh, 35 years ago now. Yeah. 89. Uh, I was full term. I was due to have the baby in two weeks and 
we found out midweek that he had passed away from a court accident and I had to go through full labor and delivery. And Andrew was so excited about having a brother. Oh my God, it was the only thing he wanted and he lost his brother. And every time we went to a store, Andrew told everybody around us, I lost my brother, he died. And I would leave crying. <laughs> it was just yeah. midweek. And, and there was a lady down the street that had a little boy Andrew loved to play with, Sean Keeney. And she asked if I could watch him after kindergarten. And so I started watching him. And then she had these three little girls that their daycare center had been shut down and they needed care on Monday. And she told me about it on Thursday. And could I please just take them? And a blonde, a redhead and a brunette. And literally they, they were my soul. I mean, those three little girls, Andrew and Sean, and then we had Allison, Sean's uh, older sister, who I would pick up at first grade and, it took me from, I mean, I would have committed suicide had I not had Andrew. Dave was not enough. My husband wasn't enough at that point. I was that miserable. But I knew my son didn't deserve to lose a mom and a brother. So I was able to hold on with that tiny little knowledge that I knew I wasn't going to take Andrew's mother from him. And um, the girls and the kids just gave me life. I was able to start doing fun things. I was able to start being Andrew's mom again and making the day fun for him and, you know, building our lives back. And then it just kind of took off because I was freaking good at it. I loved the kids. I was super clean. I would scrub all afternoon. You know, I was clean and parents wanted in. And then, you know, a doctor literally came into my house and wouldn't leave until I enrolled his child and I was full. And, you know, so it was the high quality that I provided, you know, that brought all these kids to the house. And Andrew was pretty powerful because he owned who got to go to his bedroom. So <laughs> he would invite Adam and Emily, but Scotty Waddy had a potty, couldn't come because Scotty would wet his pants in Andrew's bedroom. So Scotty wasn't allowed to come in there. And that was his nickname on the side. We never let Scotty know that that was his nickname. Hopefully but... Scott does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> He's got to be in his mid-30s now. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Andrew, yeah, he would take kids to his room if they were, you know, fun to play with and he'd kick them out when he was not having it. And he was very powerful. It's probably how he got his lust for uh, power was. Play games. Is that how you got good at Pokemon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I needed to be a business owner. This lesson that I, that I learned from you by observing you was your passion and how it influences your business, the way you run your business. I've always appreciated seeing as early as I can remember, your passion was always for the welfare of the children and you run your business now. It almost feels like the only thing that you really care about is the welfare of the children. You don't, I mean, I know that you, you have to care about being profitable and paying for people's wages and that sort of thing, but it just seems like the only thing I ever hear you chime and, 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 and ring, you know, it's like a gong that you ring over and over is like just providing high quality early childhood education for these babies, these children. And, you know, it's, it's something that I've found is like this, this, your mission is so clear and you stick to it. It's not about making money. It's about this highest quality learning environment for these, so that these children can be edified and lifted up. And that is what I I think most inspires me about watching you. But I think that's how business used to be. I mean, you think about Ford. Why did Ford go into business? 
he was passionate about delivering. The Nazis paid him to make engines. <laughs> he was passionate about improving people's lives. Think about the Wright brothers. They were passionate about improving people's lives. They weren't going, oh, we're going to make an airplane because we're going to make billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got Jeff Bezos and, you know, all of these billionaires running around with their 150 millionth mansion. I could care less about that. I don't think Ford cared about that. I don't think the Wright brothers cared about that. Uh, Amelia Earhart didn't care about that. What people in business and in America always cared about was improving the community and the society and making life better. And I can tell you honestly, from the day that I started taking children into our home, that's all I cared about was making sure that the kids were having fun. I have a deep, passionate love for that little girl that I once was, that was just poor, dejected, tired, exhausted. And the way that I was interacted with, having not eaten anything but rice for three weeks in one school setting was one way and it changed my life. And in another school setting, it was one way and it destroyed parts of my life. And, and the difference that that made for me was such a stark reality, such a, such a black and white moment for me that truly all I care about when it comes to my business is the quality that I provide to the children and families. And because that's my focus, my goal is to put a service in this world that people can't live without. And when people can't live without your service, you don't have to worry about the money. That's not going to be the part. Now you have to be smart. You have to organize your finances and you have to be careful. You've got to know before you take a step where that money's coming from and what you're doing. How are you being reimbursed? I'm not saying that money's not important. You can't care for the children if you don't have the money part of it right. So I'm not trying to minimize that or say that, oh no, you just run into the darkness of the night, you know, without any vision. You just can't do that. But but the true focus is is that that passion and how I guess the the mission maybe is a yeah. better way to put it. Like you can't lose sight of your mission. I think a lot of I think a lot of great companies start off as a, an incredible company, and then when they lose sight of their mission, they go downhill. Uh, one that I talk about all the time that Law will know, and Sean of course is Blizzard. Blizzard was this company. They made World of Warcraft, and yeah. they were a company that built a business on being passionate gamers that really, really wanted to see a thing exist that didn't exist and kind of a, an organization built by gamers for gamers. And then they sold off to Activision and all of the core staff kind of left. It became more about making money and monetizing the subscriber base than actually making really cool things that we could celebrate together, business owner and, and, consumer celebrating together. I feel like, you know, you are in this position of being a business owner that also understands your consumer and just simply wants to uh, like celebrate the highest quality, you know, for, for the consumer or, you know, really it's a, it's all about what the consumer cares about, which is their children. You care about the children too. And together, you team up with your consumer, establish that high quality early learning environment according to what everybody wants. Sometimes a consumer doesn't know what they need. They know what issues they're dealing with all the way around, but they have no idea that you can resolve those by simply bringing a product to market or a service to market that is there to meet their needs. So I, I would say that 
when you think about my business, what I've done is I've analyzed every single mom and every single dad. And I know exactly what they go through. First of all, I'm a mom. I went through it. My son is a dad. I watch him go through it every single day. I intricately paid attention to what it is that is driving the chaos in our society and how I can be a part of resolving that. I mean, when you think about a woman who is single, children on her own, that's, that's a, that's a, or, a, or a father, single, children on his own, only one person, the first thing that you know that's happening is that person is working a lot of freaking hours or they're on some type of a program. And both of those things require that person to go around our community, one place for housing, one place for food, one place for healthcare, one place if they need to to hook their child up to developmental uh, intervention or an individual education plan, uh, one place else, else for uh, repairs on their car, one place. And you start putting all those places together and you start seeing our society kind of like a beehive. Everybody's just running everywhere. There's no personal interaction anymore. We're just running consistently all the time. And then you're trying to fit lessons on top of it and you know special family events on top of that. So what I did is I looked at what's happening in society and I created one place that you can go for almost all of it. You literally can connect to every single thing. We have parent engagement events that are fun family memorable events. We have pre-K prom. Children invite their parents to call. <laughs> Every time miss it. So you don't have to think about what special things do I get to do this year? Because it's already set up for you. You've got an agenda. Your child goes to preschool there and literally you don't have to think about it. If you're low on groceries, there's a, a pantry at the front. You can literally grab a bag, grab diapers, grab wipes, get grab food, any of the things that you need because you're short right now. You don't have to beg. You don't have to be embarrassed. You know, so when it comes to resources, everything, there's a there's a system in our area called 211. And you can call and spend hours on the phone trying to get to the resource that you need. Come to Children's Paradise and you can say, hey, I'm worried about my child. They're not speaking. They're two years old. They're, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about possibly that, that they may have some signs of autism. You know, that's a terrible word to say to a parent of two to three. We would never do that. But sometimes parents come to us, where do they go? We hook them up in a minute, say, you know something, this happens to every family. And, and uh, every family has questions. Every family has domestic violence maybe that happened. Or if it's a 100,000 resources, we have it at Children's Paradise. And so what I did is I just modeled my business to solve that societal craziness that families have to go through so that when they pick their child up at night, that child's already done their homework. That child's already had tutoring. That child's already been able to engage in a gymnastics or ballet or karate or wrestling, any of the numbers of programs that happen at our facility. And we include it for everybody so that the child who has nothing doesn't get nothing. The child who has everything gets the same thing the child who has nothing. It equalizes children. And they go home to families who can literally just focus on making dinner and spending the night watching TV together and relaxing because they've literally been able to pick up everything. We've connected them to hearing, vision, uh, dental screenings, a pediatrician comes by, visits kids for well baby checks. There's everything in one place. So literally your children are cared for in the way that they all should be without 
you having to drive, 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 run, 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 go, go, go. And it just, it's, it's beautiful. So, and, and this is, so I guess where my mind goes, because, you know, all, a lot of the people that listen to our podcast, they either run businesses in, or are hopefuls in crowdfunding, or they are looking to take a hobby business and turn it into a professional income and, and that sort of thing. And what I heard you say was that, you know, your target market and uh, because you go where they go and do what they do and you, you experienced what they experience. These are, these are things that you can't just decide on your own inside of a, a cube somewhere away from your customer. You have to go out and figure out who your customer is, what makes them tick and why they care, why they would care about buying your stuff. Yes. I, I think that you were so spectacular at creating deliverance because you play games. You know what's fun. You know how intricate and how it has to tickle every single bit of your fancy because that's what you love. So being really good at something because you love it and you know it intricately. Likewise, when you know we lost Timothy, my job was to, to try to heal you. And my job was to make your life fun and to make sure that you saw life after such pain. A mom watching her three and a half, four-year-old baby go through that is very painful. And so my life was all about just making it fun for the kids. And I did everything every single day from the minute we woke up until the minute the last child left was just to make the day fun for the kids, you know, and to understand kind of what that was about. So I'm really good at making it fun for kids. I mean, we have we have horses and horse helmets and little brushes that they get to post around the playground or ride. We have stuff you can't even imagine for the kids. The kids at our facilities have so much fun. And that's my goal is, is that's how I derive joy is watching them have fun is watching their families who can't afford to go to Starbucks. I've, I've got women and men coming from a, home, a homeless shelter entitled walking up to a coffee bar like normal people, picking up a big old fat mug, popping all sorts of creamers and having muffins and fresh fruit, everything there for them. I serve them. And how life-changing it is for somebody who's literally hit by every hard knock in life to come into a facility and to be treated with dignity and with respect um, in the same way I would treat uh, a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, they're no different. These are people with children who struggled to get them into where they are today. And they deserve a cup of coffee and a nice breakfast, something to take with them on the car, on the bus, however they're going to work. And so to just in detail, think about me as a mom, what did I need the minute I dropped Kristen off at preschool? I needed coffee. I was like, done. She made my life so hard in the morning. She was not easy. Andrew was easy. Kristen was hard. And so the minute Episode she- 59. <laughs> we interviewed Kristen. The minute, like I said, full with a waiting list everywhere. I mean, who would go to a preschool without coffee when you can come to one with? <laughs> yeah. Julie, I, I'm interested if there was any uh, people in history that maybe inspired you. I don't know if you're familiar with Charlotte Mason from England. She was a woman in the 1800s and uh, likewise sort of dedicated her life to helping poorer children get a good education. She was based in Liverpool, quite influential in sort of homeschool circles because they have a lot of 
she had a lot of sort of practical advice. But her sort of motto was education is a, is an atmosphere, a discipline, a life, and education is the science of relations. So it sounds very similar to the sort of system that you've set up. So I don't know if Charlotte Mason has been an individual that has influenced you or you've looked into. I can't tell you that I have. I'm kind of one of those odd people who I don't really have a lot of heroes. I don't look to public figures or, um, you know, figures throughout history. But I can't tell you that I did. I did visit New Orleans in, in uh, England, and it's a nanny college where they raise up uh, nannies that they send out to care for children and teach them quality of, of building relationships. I, that is the basis of education is strong relationships. Can't educate a child that knows you don't care about them. I think that's probably one of the number one problems with you know some of the educational uh, facilities in the United States of America is there's a band of teachers that care more about you know their union participation and their plastic surgery benefits than they care about the children in their classroom that need an education. And I think I will look into Charlotte Mason. That's that's a, an interesting you know something that you bring up. But I would I, I would just say that I was inspired reading the books of Corey Ten Boom. You know, when I was a kid, my mom okay. taught me through her books, uh, The Diary of Anne Frank. Those are some memorable things. I uh, Tiger Rising is another book that you know, was about uh, abused children and their abuser was a tiger that was kept in a cage in a forest and only came out occasionally. And so, you know, because I was such an abused child, my access as a kid to, you know, some of that was maybe less. But I would just say, you know, my heroes are the single mom that, you know, came to me one day and said, I got to send my kid to a, my auntie and I'm going to go live in a homeless shelter because I lost my housing for one month. And at that point, Children's Paradise paid her rent. So she didn't lose her housing. She didn't have to go to a homeless a shelter. We paid one month of rent. And that African-American mother raised two daughters that were valedictorian at their high school, both of them, because she had the opportunity because of one $1,350 check to raise her children. I've heard this so many times, especially from people that are not making a professional level income from this industry, from their industry. They say, I don't really care about the money. I, I want to do good things. You know, what, with the money we make, I want to, you know, give to charity. I want to do good things with it, but I, I don't really care about making the money. It's just not true. I mean, life, life requires money. So if you're going to have a successful business that's going to be around to do all those wonderful things you want to do, then you have to have a strong business plan. You have to know where the money's coming from and how to pivot and be able to achieve what you're trying to achieve by putting together a very strong business plan. It, there's just no such thing of, I don't care about the money. Everybody has to care about the money. Uh, because you have to have it in order to do anything. But I think the balance is keeping your eye on the ball and recognizing that, I mean, Henry Ford made automobiles cost effectively so that the people who worked to build them could also afford to buy them. Likewise, at Children's Paradise, we make sure that the people who do the work have access to the same quality programs for their children, you know, like anybody else. Um, and they can't possibly afford to pay the same rates as anybody else. So, you know, I think that it's just, it's a balance. Business is a balance. You have to have the balance, but at the same time, you've got to know what's most important. And for me, it's the kids. I will, I will never 
you know, buy mansions and yachts. And I could care less about that. I tell my husband, don't buy me diamonds, buy me a playground. That's what I care about. And <laughs> society, it's, a, it's our responsibility to support, you know, those ethical businesses, you know, and not to demonize every company as unethical because we're not. I can guarantee you my company is not unethical. Um, I was with, I was at one of my sites this morning and I'll make this short. I was there, arrived at 9.30 in the morning. I left at 11.30. During that two hour period, there were about a hundred kids because the bottom floor is being remodeled. So only a hundred kids on the top floor area, not one child cried one time. For two hours, <laughs> the volume was so high and the activities were so fun and they were so engaged everywhere. They were just actively learning massive information and, and education happening there, uh, interacting with science and math and, and art and language development and all of these cool kitchens in the dramatic play area and, you know, mindful in the areas when you're tired, you can go sit down and regain yourself. And I mean, just, it was amazing. So that's, that's what education should be. Kids that are actively engaged, not just sitting down, writing on dittos. So I know, you know, this is a marketing podcast and, and all, but where would you say you got some of your big breaks? You know, I mean, I, I've been thinking about deliverance, you know, I've been, of course, I think about the digital marketing business all the time. And I've been thinking about deliverance and, you know, we have 5,000 units of deliverance, about 4,000 of those are spoken for. Almost all of our retailers have now sold out, pre-sold of, of their product that they pre-ordered. And everybody's going to get the game in about, a, you know, between one and two months from now. The majority of people are going to receive them. I expect that I'll sell out of the thousand units that are remaining. And I may end up, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably reprint either through another Kickstarter or whatever. But I wonder sometimes to myself, I wonder, you know, I thought certain content creators would latch onto it and, and it, you know, it never works out the way you expect, but you know, we've sold 4,000 units of this um, already just on the back of grassroots marketing, but I'm still kind of looking for, you know, when is my big break going to come? When is that distributor going to say, you know, we need to carry your product. And then all of a sudden I'm going to sell 20,000 units a month of this, you know, and I, I have no idea where those big breaks come from, but we struggle and struggle and struggle to finally get to a point where we earn that big break where it's like, oh, we got, I don't know, Jim Caviezel says deliverance is the best game ever. And then all the chosen staff are like, yeah, we play it every day on set. And then all the millions of fans of those, those groups buy it or whatever. I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I, I think my, I guess my point is that I'm working hard and slow and trying to be stable as I grow to then be in the right position to capitalize on an opportunity. And I was wondering when, when was your, like, what did you do before you got your first big break? When did you get your first big break? What, what, what big breaks do you feel like really made your company? It doesn't work like that. Those big, all of a sudden, you know, 20 million and it doesn't really work like that. What happens is you put in years and years and years and years of work and little by little you build as you build, think about it like a little pebble 
rolling down the hill. Think about where water starts. It starts up in the mountain where it rained and it's just this little tiny stream. And it makes its way down the mountain using the path of least resistance. And there are times it gets stopped and it gets pulled in an area and it just waits for a few more resources before it can start rolling again. Eventually all water makes it to the ocean over time, you know, whether it's through, uh, through underground sinking in and getting to the underground rivers that are there, or, you know, by rolling down and getting to the lake and then the lake flows, however it is, it makes it there, but it's, it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy. And what stops us and I would say what stopped me most is because I have a preconceived notion about how it's supposed to go. And because I have a preconceived notion about how it's supposed to go, I fail to see how it is going and how it can go. And so I think that when I started to really pick up speed was when I took the blinders off and I allowed myself to say, hey, um, you know, I, I had a the number three national childcare company wanted to buy me, wanted to give me a certain amount of money. I was going to be the CEO of the, the well, the COO, because the CEO was going to stay, but I was going to come on as the COO. And supposedly my brand was going to go from the five centers I had at a time that were beautifully organized and making double what any of his made, you know, by site. Suddenly I was going to have 248 sites to, to expand this into. Okay. And I thought that that was how I was getting out there. In hindsight, I would have probably been as miserable as any person could have been. I turned down that offer in February, right before COVID. I was the dumbest person in the world, March. Okay. Um, 2021, I got offered double what he offered me. Since then, I've been offered more than that. But I'm realizing that that's not my path. You know, just capitalizing on the money doesn't get me where I want to be. I want children's paradise to be like Starbucks on every corner in every community. There needs to be a family resource center where, where any parent can go and gather resources and connect for their family so that no single mom or no married couple has got to go homeless because they lack one month of rent. And, and as a society, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars annually to help that family when really 1,350 bucks is all they needed. You know, getting back to your question about the big break, sometimes that's not what you're meant to have. And as much as we think we control our future, God controls our future. He has a plan very specific to your life that he wants something done in a very specific way, in my opinion. And I would never have done it had I done what I thought would have been my big break. And as I took off the blinders and went, Julie, you have every capacity to do these yourself, every capability to build them yourself. And I started taking responsibility, kind of like Jonah, you know, instead of running away by a whale, I got vomited up on the, on the shore and decided to actually do what I was supposed to do. I would say that continuing to work every single day in the same direction with my eye on the ball, that's the big break. But the big break is freaking lots of work. It's not easy like the one you envision. You think some rich guy is going to come in and be fair with you and just boom your product. Some rich guy only cares about money. Okay. And if he can take your product from you 
and make it on his own, that's exactly what he's going to do. So to the extent that you can do it yourself and that you can put a vision together yourself for funding it, you know when you're going to get that big break is when you rule the world and they have no choice but to come to you. That's the big break. You have to own it before you can control it. So the vision that you have right now that you've kind of expressed is a, as you said, like you want to be like Starbucks and you want to have a family resource center on every corner in every city. But I'm sure that there was a point that your vision wasn't always so grand. It's almost, I I, I see that for a lot of people, vision is like a couple of steps beyond where they're at right now. You know, it's they're, they're they set a goal that seems to be achievable within a one to five year time frame. They they go toward that goal. Some sometimes people have the the big hairy audacious goal. The uh, you know for me I want to sell a hundred thousand copies of Deliverance a month or whatever. Like yeah, that's gonna take a while. You know to, to be bigger than Monopoly or whatever. That it to me is not realistic. So what did your vision start as, and then how did it progress? I started with a home daycare that took over our house, took over your room, took over everything. And we were living literally inside a business and I had to get it out. I had no vision. I just wanted it out of my house. So I thought, (laughs) how do I get it out of my house? It was our income. So I decided I'm just going to build a preschool. Somebody said, you should build a preschool. I went, that's a great idea. What's a preschool? And I went out there, (laughs) I did information as I could and literally had that sucker open a year later. Um, and I moved from having um, 90 or, or having 12 kids at my house to having 98 in this preschool. And I, I was in hell. So I didn't have a vision. I could have cared less. I just was trying to support my family and I got stuck. I got my foot stuck, stuck in the mud. So I thought, okay, I've got one center, thought about selling it, looked at selling it. And they wanted 100% of my accounts receivable. And they would basically give me the value of my accounts receivable as a price. And well, well, that's ridiculous. I can't afford that. How am I going to support my family? So tell you what, I'll build another one. That way I can get a better price. I can get a, you know, and so I built another one. It's like, it's kind of like the tar baby. Have you ever read the book, um, Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby, mm-hmm. where this rabbit's going down the street and he sees this baby sitting there and talks to him and he says, hey, what's going on? And the baby just sits there. And he finally got so mad, he took his fist and he punched that tar baby because he wouldn't talk to him and he got his fist stuck. And eventually he punched him with the other fist and he's hitting him with his feet because he won't talk to him and he let go of my hand. And it's a hilarious Cajun story, Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby. Where he basically gets enveloped in the tar. Super. The point that I'm making is that I got stuck. So my vision was, okay, how do I unwind this and create something that I can actually leave somebody would actually want to buy? So that's kind of the way I looked at it. And then I started seeing, you know, as I refined it and as the results I was creating became even more and more spectacular. And as my passions came to bear and as it fed my soul and all of it, I started realizing that this is a solution that is so powerful. And I've seen so many lives changed by what happens on site because the people on site are so empowered to care like we do and, and so connected to resources. And I thought, if I could fix one thing in our community, what would I fix? I would fix the breakdown. It used to be that churches were these great resource centers. Now they're fog, smoke, lights. 
guitars, uh, people, you know, raise your hand, put it down, raise your hand, put it down, stand up, sit down, go home, you know, and do nothing for kids and do nothing for families. And, you know, you'll, somebody suffering, who cares? And so bringing those community centers back together, we've got a partnership with a, a real church in Escondido. They've got a Center for Domestic Violence, uh, working with women who've been through domestic violence. They've got a health clinic, they've got a food pantry, and they've got Children's Paradise. A family has to go nowhere, but there in Escondido for services, and they're connected to everything they need. And when you see that and you see how powerful it is, you know, if you have a heart, if you are a human being, it, you become passionate about it. And I think likewise, you know, as you're looking at deliverance, you know, it's about people playing a game. It's about creating wonderful family times and amazing memories and all of the fun stuff that goes along with that. Yes, it's about making money. You're creating a gaming company that brings that kind of old fashioned fun and that old fashioned childhood. Similarly to what I do, every single day kids have a ball because of me. Well, kind of at 13, they stop having a ball because of me. It's I'm boring. Everything they've done, they've been doing. So at 13, Andrew, you pick them up and you take them until they're around 35 or 40 and maybe beyond <laughs> with really super fun things that they can do. And I think that as you develop out your concept and recognize that, that when you comprehensively start thinking about what do I do to create fun? Because people don't have the time to go everywhere. They really kind of go to one thing and rotate around that. You'll start putting together annual experiences. You know, think about Comic-Con. It's an annual experience. People who are following all of the people that are making tons of money go to Comic-Con because they know that that's where, you know, it's part of, it's, it's just part of the framework of their lives. And any business owner, as you embed yourself into the framework of people's lives, you're gonna find a greater level of success. And that big break, it's going to be a big break to other people looking from the outside to you on the inside. You're going to know every single sleepless night and every single pound of flesh you left on the floor for that success, because it really does happen that slowly. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a fun note to end on. Any other thoughts, Sean, as before we wrap? Yeah, well, uh, Julie, as you were speaking, uh, it reminded me of Proverbs 21.31. And uh, Andrew, this is particularly for your, your case, it's, it's a bit of a pun, probably not the greatest exegesis, but uh, it says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. So that's uh, it's quite similar where you can prepare your horse for battle, but really there's some things which are out of our control. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, you know, for me, my, my conclusion has been, and this is something that, you, you know, just over time, I started my business part-time alongside what I was currently doing in 2009. I was going to become an EMT. I just graduated from college with my business degree. And then I eventually, you know, decided to get into selling websites and um, quit everything because I saw, I simply, my vision was that I just simply didn't want to work in the hospital where I had a really, really hard Monday. And I thought I just wanted residual income. Maybe I could find another way to support my half of the wage that I needed to develop for just, you know, maintaining our, my, my young little family with my wife and I, and it was really, really difficult for like a year and a half. I quit everything and just went forward 
and probably one of the best, one of the best things that you ever did for me, mom, was you did not pay for anything that I like you. There, I mean, there was, there was one time where I was actually short on the mortgage and I had like $900 due for the mortgage and it was 14 days past due and we barely managed and, and uh, we, we barely managed to pay and you freaked out and, and you paid like $900 and we had um, a, uh, you know, you just did it on your own. And then I found out that next month's mortgage was paid too. I was like, oh my goodness. That's like the only way that we made it through that, that two months ago. Um, you made me mad. It doesn't work. That did it. Yeah. And so I cut him off. I felt so bad. And I was like freaking out the whole time. And he, the thing is, is that he was so sweet. He never let me know how hard it was hurting. So otherwise I would have caved way, way faster than I did. I, w- I think I was your first website client. I, I couldn't wait to give him my $5,000 down payment so that he was okay. I was trying to teach him a lesson. I was not going to have a lazy son. I was like, uh-uh, nope. Yep. So yeah, it was, it was funny. I understood the lesson that you were trying to impart. And I was in a position where I didn't, you know, you weren't paying for things. Actually, you were paying for something that you're still paying for today. It's my cell phone bill. <laughs> Still paying my cell phone bill. It's like three hundred bucks a month, and we've got fifteen hundred cell phones on it. We're just like whatever. Well, I actually there was there was one. I was um Ooh, Netflix. I, <laughs> actually, I I use their Netflix account too right now, which is hilarious. But it's more for because you know for convenience than anything. I remember the one you were like, all right, now you got to get your own phone and everything. And this was a long time ago, and and then you called me back. You're like, actually, never mind. You don't need to. Uh, I was like, what happened? And I still remember that my my cell phone by uh, because of the it was like a business plan or some kind of thing that we were on by changing it. You were grandfathered into this old, old school plan. My phone was nine dollars a month and uh, it would have been one hundred and fifty dollars a month if you it would have been one hundred fifty more if you just simply canceled my line. Yeah. And uh, so you called me and said, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. And um, I know is that I can afford to take care of my kids, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to demotivate them. I want, and you know, it's so important that your kids have uh, independence. You know, you don't want them feeling like they have to answer to mommy. The last thing I wanted, I mean, Andrew and I are so super close, but the last thing I wanted was for a son to be all about his mom and not his wife. Oh, I would hate that. You know, having a husband that's all about his mom and not me, hell no. Nah. And so, you know, I just, I, I just, I think I've tried as a mom to, to make sure that he's independent. Cause Hey, the way I look at it is someday he's got to take care of me. I want him to know how to do that damn well. Yeah. Well, we definitely have to have you come back. I mean, it just hearing from you and hearing your, you, you know, the wisdom that came through, I hope that everybody uh, found it just as valuable as I did. And, you know, honestly, I'd really like to do a lot more interviews like this, which are just more free form listening to somebody very successful like yourself talk about how wh- how they did that. And, you know, the, I mean, marketing is generally what, you know, it's how we make money. But I feel like as business owners, a lot of the time, you know, the, the, the success you have, I feel like kind of boils down to the people that you meet and the books you read. I have said that before on the podcast, but 
uh, just to receive wisdom from others that are ahead of you. The quote, the slogan is we stand on the shoulders of giants. You know, if you don't hear, if you don't ever listen to the giants, then you're never going to. So Isaac Newton. Shoulders, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Isaac Newton. So thanks so much for joining the podcast, mom. It's been a real pleasure and hilarious, hilarious time. You know, if people have any questions for you, if they, if they wanted to, you know, reach out, where is there a place they can do that? Anybody listening to the podcast that has more questions or, or, or anything like that? I mean, info at childrensparadise.com. If you want more information about our programs, you can also go on Facebook. We're at CPP online and you can find our, our page there. Like us. We would love to have millions of likes because we think we deserve them, but there's <laughs> tons of activities that you can see. Um, you're going to see our leprechaun traps. You're going to see um, all the, oh, that was the funniest thing. We did leprechaun traps for the kids. It was hilarious. Watch out, Sean. They left them all over the room. And uh, they peed in their toilets. They peed green in the toilets and left leprechaun footprints everywhere. It's the funnest thing. The kids had so much fun uh, building leprechaun traps. We're going to try to catch leprechauns again next year. But that's just one of the activities. I would say through Facebook, uh, Facebook Messenger, or info at childrensparadise.com, and uh, we'll get back to you. You can comment on any of our, our posts. We've got lots of people watching, and we'll get back to you and give you as much information as you need. Um, we love that. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.